Well, welcome to Gospel Growth on Biblical Friendship. We are in session five, Marks of the Biblical Friendship, part two. Now, before we get started, some of you may be wondering why I'm having this red name tag here that doesn't belong to Gospel Grace. This is actually uh, from the hospital. Um, I just wanted to thank the Lord for his provision of um, um, welcoming our newborn this morning at 6.15 a.m. So my wife is in the hospital right now with our daughter. Um, I had to jet down here for this session here. I'll be going back to join my daughter and my wife shortly here. I think the, uh, the Lord has expedited the prayers here, and then she came a little bit earlier than anticipated. But still the provision of just the timing of things that I was able to be here. Very thankful for that. But I uh, did not get any sleep last night. So I'm praying for uh, Lord to give me some uh, clear mind to teach this uh, topic so that it can be edifying to you guys. So just real quick, last week we talked about three marks of a biblical friendship. Uh, biblical friendship being close, biblical friendship being careful, and then biblical friendship being candid. And then today we'll examine three more marks of a biblical friendship that will help us to wrestle through what it means to pursue friendship that God has intended for us. But before we dive in, I wanted to preface with a few thoughts here. One is the, as I prepare for these lessons on marks, marks of the biblical friendship, um, it provided opportunities for me to reflect on, reflect on my own friendship, and my heart has been full for the gift of friendship that God has given to me in my life, especially as I meditate on the grace that we can all experience through such friendship that we have um, currently. Second, it also convicted me of my own inadequacy of being a good friend, but spurred me to continue uh, pursue biblical friendship in my own life, and I hope that these sessions have been helpful to you as well up to this point. And then lastly, from the last session, some of you may have left the session feeling more discouraged perhaps, um, feeling your inadequacy of being in uh, just being a good friend. So I'd like to remind you of your primary identity as a beloved before you are a friend to anyone else. What I mean by that is that if you are in Christ, I want to remind you that you are dearly, deeply loved first. And we see that in all the New Testament letters when the Apostle Paul addressed to his saints, he always affirms their identity as a saint's first, right? If you are in Christ, I want to remind you that God has forgiven you from your sin of commission, which means actions that you should not have taken as a friend, and from your sin of omission, actions that you should have taken as a friend, knowing that it was the right thing to do, yet you failed to do so. God has forgiven you all of that if you're in Christ. And you can start fresh pursuing biblical friendship with the daily grace that he offers to all of us. So I just wanted to offer that encouragement to you up front, as uh, sometimes as we go through the marks of the friendship, the tendency or the temptation could be the, the discouragement that we, we experience as we see how far we are from the marks. <coughs> so with that in mind, let's pray, and we'll jump right in. Lord, I just pray for, for those who are in this room experiencing the uh, drought of friendship in this moment, that you would... Uh, uh, come near to them and provide the comfort for them and bring friends that they need in this time and then also helping them to become the friends that you intend them to be. Also pray that God will help us to remember that we are your beloved and that our horizontal relationship with others 
actually flows out of our vertical relationship with you first. And then most, most importantly, I want to thank you for being our greatest friend and pray that you would help us to become a good friend to others. In your name we pray. Amen. So just to start with here, fourth mark of the biblical friendship is biblical friendship is constant. We see that in Proverbs 17, 17, where it says a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. So what is not a constant friend? I would, I would argue it's a consumer friend. So you see consumer friends stay only as long as friendship benefits them. Or consumer friends don't really care about you. They are more interested in what you can give. It's a transactional nature. That is not a biblical friendship, especially with the marks of constant friendship. However, constant friends stick us through thick and thin. So how do we differentiate constant friends in our lives? We will know it when the hard time comes. So Drew Hunter says it this way. He says, suffering is a great relationship revealer. We often learn how strong a relationship is when we don't have anything to give. We also find out what kind of friends we are when a friend can't give anything to us. When someone cannot share anything but a burden, only constant friends stick around to carry it. So at this juncture, rather than thinking about others, we should face the challenge ourselves and ask, what kind of friend am I? Am I a constant friend to others, especially to those God has entrusted into our lives? So I resonate with uh, Von Roberts when he says, many do find that friendship gets more difficult as life goes on. I gradually discovered that the deep relationship of my early life couldn't be automatically sustained without any conscious effort on my part and that as life became busier, I needed to put time aside to maintain them while also developing new friendship. Constancy is hard. We've all experienced it to a certain degree in our lives. And here are a few challenges that we face in constancy. One of the challenges is that natural drift that happens. With time, we drift away from each other. That is a natural course of any relationship without any meaningful or intentional cultivation. So to illustrate this point, let's do a quick exercise here in this room. Raise your hand. How many of you still have close friends from college? Okay, keep your hands up high. What about from high school? Drop your hand if it's not, 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 if it's not true. What about from middle school? Grade school. All right, kindergarten, preschool. All right, so you get the point though, right? As the time goes on, it's, you see that it's harder to maintain from early on in your life. So from my own life, the friends that have demonstrated this constant friendship, I would argue, are molders. Some of you know Christy and Daniel molders who have been sent out out of gospel grace here, currently being trained in radius to go overseas missions in Southeast Asia. Our dear, sweet friends, Molders have exemplified to Irina and I what it means to be a constant friend, especially when we transitioned into our parenthood with our firstborn, Theo, three years ago. Molders have extended extra measure of grace towards us, pursued us, met us where we're at, especially when we didn't have anything to give towards them in our parenthood. For example, they invested into our marriage by allowing us to go on numerous overnight getaways by watching our son, Theo. 
they were the prime example of this biblical friendship um, where we didn't have much to give to them, yet they still pursued us as their friends. And so we are very thankful for their friendship, and we are also sad to see them go, but we're also very encouraged to see them counting the cost, even if it means to intentionally move away from their friends so that they can make much of his name to the other nations. Another challenge to constant friendship is that we are actually forgetful. We forget, don't we? So have you been here where you delay a call to your friend and you end up not calling at all at that moment and then time goes on and you guys know where I'm going with this, right? You realize that you haven't really talked or hung out with your friend and then the more time passes and then you realize that you are no longer in the same inner circle as your friend as before. Who has been there before? That awkward tension, the moment of, oh, I forgot to call you, forgot to talk to you. Oops, it's been about three, mo- three months. Whoops, it's been now more than a year. <sighs> awkward, right? I've been there. However, though, I would argue that this could actually serve as an opportunity for you to rekindle your friendship again by seeking reconciliation with your friend that you once held dear. I have an example in my own life. Recent example that came to my mind is um, it was a difficult to recall because it was a very hard uh, moment for me, but it was with my friend Sean Boyle. Some of you know Sean, who, who's been a close friend of mine for the past few years. The situation was that I started to feel this angst as I realized that I had been drifting away from him, that our relationship was changing and we were no longer experiencing the same frequency nor the same closeness that we have experienced before. So we got together at the Porcupine Grill, which is a place that we uh, share a lot of memories of grubbing down veggie pizza with a hellfire sauce. And we started to talk about our friendship and how things have been going and really acknowledging that there's a, there's a change that is happening, that we have been growing apart as friends. And especially it was hard for me to admit that I have not been there as a friend to him when he needed a brother to be there. So this was not an easy combo, <clears throat> but I think my friend would agree uh, it was difficult, yet much needed combo for, our, the, for the sake of our friendship. So as tears are rolling down, I, I recall asking for forgiveness from my friend Sean. And I, I just recall just a moment where he graciously extending the forgiveness towards me. Uh, and that we reaffirmed our care for each other, even though we may have been in a different place in our inner circle of friendship. Through this experience, I've learned that seeking reconciliation is hard, but I also experienced Psalm 133.1 when it says, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. I learned that we may be in a different place in the concentric circle, but we can still care for each other in times of need. So my, my main point of sharing this example is to tell you that the biblical friendship, whether in consistency with grace, there will be a time where your friend, friends will fail you. It's not if, it's more of a when. And there will be a time where you will fail them as well. So distinct mark of a biblical friendship is that when these times do come, your friends will endure, your friendship will endure because there is a mutual reconciliation and that we can pursue reconciliation first because God has done that for us. Colossians 3.13 should resonate our hearts in this regard where it says, remember the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others. That is a picture of the gospel, that he has forgiven us. Therefore, we extend forgiveness toward, toward, toward each other. 
So perhaps you have friendship in your life that you've been hurt by. Perhaps you need to pursue reconciliation and mend your friendship. Maybe there are some friends that come to your mind at this moment. If that is you, I encourage you to be the first one to move towards your friend and display the gospel in that way. And seek the understanding and apologize if needed. And may Lord mend those relationships and perhaps that will create an opportunity for you to go deeper with that friend. Another challenge to constant friendship is transient nature of life. We live in Salt Lake City where people move in and out quite often. You know, as people move away, our friends also move away as well. And also as a Christian, there's a unique aspect living in Salt Lake where we as a church will experience gospel goodbyes at times. As our friends leave for a church plant or leave for a missional different context here. For me, this has been uh, my close friend Justin Dunn, who has moved back to Birmingham a couple of years ago, who was also a former member of the church here, and he was also part of my community group leading together for several years. You know, for me, it has been a period of adjusting expectations, that realizing that we no longer have the same bandwidth nor the frequency that we can experience. Also, it has been a period of learning how to make intentional touch points via FaceTime as needed. And my friend here has set up a very helpful reminder to connect in the first week of each month. He just kind of made, made a mental note. So every time the new month rolls around, we both know it's time to call, right? So it has been a very habitual thing for us in the last couple of years here. So even from afar, this friend would actually reach out also, genuinely be curious about what I'm learning as well in seminary, right? I think he was the only friend that had done that up to this point. Um, really, in other words, he was expressing himself to me and saying, I still want to think together with you as a friend. Some of the marks that we, we talked about last week. It has not been easy, but along the way, I've, we've learned together how to continue to cultivate friendship from afar. A couple years ago, um, as we read Drew Hunter's book, Made for Friendship Together, we were introduced to this concept called miwalo. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that term. It was new to me, but this is what, how he explains it. One of the greatest ways to go deep with friends is to get away with them. Every, every year, some friends and I go on an outdoor adventure together, usually rafting or backpacking, and for us, in, in the case, was a climbing. We call it Miwalo, Men's Extended Weekend Adventure Liberation Organization. It's pretty mouthful. But here's the concept. Most of us have been doing this together for 20 years. I was really baffled by that statement. 20 years. I also have other close friends whom I go fishing. My wife likes shorter afternoon or overnight trips with her friends, Find what works for you, start with one trip, and use that time to take your conversation several steps closer or deeper. Ask soul-level questions, confess sins, talk about how you hope to grow, and laugh and enjoy God's goodness in creation. You know, I'm going to share extended version of this quote here because this next idea has significantly impacted me personally in terms of how I can redeem the precious time that I get with my friends, especially as I go away from my, my wife, and back then it was just my firstborn, now there's two kiddos now in my family, right? So Drew continues here. He says, if you're married and have a family, this will be a sacrifice. And I, I would say amen to that, and my wife would say amen to that as well. My wife has seen over the years how important this is to me. She sees that the trip aren't just for fun. They make me want to be a better man, husband, and the father. She believes in these trips as much as I do, so she frees me up to go, and I do the same for her. 
to make sure that she has time to get an evening or weekend away with her friends. Since then, I've committed to my friend saying, I'll come visit you once a year to Beham. And he has also made the same commitment to visit Salty City again once a year. And so at minimum, we're seeing each other twice a year. So maybe perhaps you are facing a situation where your close friendship is changing. You're noticing the change. How can you move towards your friends at this time? Perhaps your friendship is strained and it's drifting apart. How can you pursue reconciliation with your friends to mend that relationship? And just remembering that God has done that for us in the first place. And ultimately, ask yourself, are you a consumer friend or are you aiming to be a constant friend? Moving on to the next mark of the biblical friendship is the uh, biblical friendship is marked by godly counsel. And we see two Proverbs there, 1522, without counsel, plans fail, but with many advisors, they succeed. Second Proverbs 27.9 says, oil and the perfume make the heart glad, and sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. A biblical friend gives faithful counsel to his friend for his ultimate good and for God's glory. You see, a faithful friend speaks what his friend needs to hear, not what he wants to hear. And we kind of talked about that last week. But isn't it true? We all need friends who can point us to what we already know well, but find it hard to truly accept it and live by. Oftentimes, our friends aren't really teaching something new to us, but just really reminding us what we already know, but it's hard for us to actually obey and live it by. Right? So they're serving that as a reminder. So how do we become the, that kind of friend who provides counsel to others? You know, Pastor John and Beth have actually helped me on this regard, uh, how to grow as a friend counseling others through the lead school class on peer-to-peer counseling. So if this class gets offered again, I highly encourage you to take it. So the curriculum of this class was used uh, based on the Michael Emlis book titled Saints, Sufferers, and Sinners, Loving Others as God Loves Us. How many of you read this book or heard about it? Okay, like three of you. All right, cool. Excellent resource I want to commend to you then. In this book, Emlet argued for three ways that we can counsel our friends. He says, Scripture reveals that God ministers to his people, one, as saints who need confirmation of their identity as the children of God. Second, as a sufferers who need comfort in the midst of their affliction. And third, as sinners who need challenge to their sin in light of God's redemptive mercies. So we all kind of fall in this, this spectrum of this, like a triangle spectrum, right? Sometimes we need affirmation as a saint. Sometimes we need that comfort as a sufferer. Sometimes we need the uh, challenge, gentle rebuke and correction as a sinners, pointing us so that we can actually repent. So with the interest of our time, here's a spark note version of how you can come alongside and counsel your friends. Just real quick. One, you can affirm your friends as saints, that they are set apart by Christ. This affirmation is especially helpful for your friends that may be discouraged currently, maybe anxious, depressed, and have trouble noting the good that God has been up to in their lives. And so you're just coming along just highlighting the good you see in them. I think that's the, this is the key idea. And Emlet puts it this way. He said, rather than embarking on an idol hunt in your friend's life, like pointing out like, hey, this is your idol. Hey, this is your idol. But instead, first embark on a grace hunt. I love that. Seeing like, hey, I see these type of evidence of God's grace in your life. 
And I want to affirm that to you, that God is at work in your life. I see it. You may not see it, but I see it. And Emlet further notes in saying, in a believer, there is always something redemptive to notice and to celebrate. I love that. That meaning, if you're a believer, that God is constantly at work in your life, that we can always find something, something about redemptive nature in that person's life, and that we can celebrate that together. Second, you can remind of your friends how Jesus related to sufferers. Perhaps your friend is going through a trial or suffering at this point in time or affliction. So remind your friends that Jesus knows their specific afflictions and their hardship. And we see that in Revelation 2 and 3. Jesus points out a very particular suffering for each church, right? He doesn't just cover just one blanket statement for them, but he calls out a very specific thing of like, I know what you're going through, fill in the blank. Also remind your friends that Jesus didn't compare people's sufferings to other people's suffering. How many of you have been there when your friend comes to you and opens up to you and shares all his or her suffering and you either minimize or maximize your friend's suffering in comparison to your own? Like, oh, yeah, I've been there too. That sucked. Right? In that process of it, you're actually minimizing, perhaps you're not really empathizing with your friend what's actually truly going on in their lives. So don't do that. That's not helpful. So instead, remind them of how God can comfort, comfort them in their suffering. And I love 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4, where it says, Praise to be the God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion, and the God of all comfort. All comfort, who comforts all in all troubles, so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So we have this amazing God who can comfort us in, in all situations. And lastly, remind your friends that Jesus is with them in their suffering. As you can see from the scripture, there's so many sprinkled Jesus comforting words of, Fear not, I'm with you. Lo and behold, I'm with you. There's a promise of Christ's presence for us. And third, gently correct your friends who are sinners. Emlet says this way, we all struggle with fear of man and don't want to confront others. Perhaps it's just easier to ignore sin in another person, right? We all feel that way. Or perhaps we have shame or guilt over our own sin that makes us feel unworthy to address sin in other people's lives. Or sometimes, I don't want to risk this friendship here. What if I lose this friendship, right? In that moment, you're actually loving yourself more than your friend, if you really truly examine that. But he says, Emma says, our redeemed identity is the basis for the, rede- uh, the repentance and obedience. In other words, what he means by that is that because of who we are already, we must daily repent, which means to change direction in our lives and call others to do the same, especially the friends that we love. Right? So we're reminding of them their, their, of their identity and saying, this is who you are already. You must repent so that you become who you are already. So there's a distinction there. And in the gospel, we see Jesus moving closer to sinners and calling them for repentance. And I think we should do the same to our friends here, especially as the followers of Christ. So again, we don't have time to unpack this entire book here. But again, I commend this excellent resource called Saints and Suffering Sinners by Michael Emlet. If you want to grow in this particular areas of how to become a friend that can counsel others and also coming alongside uh, of your friends in a biblical way. Lastly, biblical friendship is Christ-centered. Now, you may have picked up on this idea already. I mean, we've been kind of hammering it. There's a lot of themes that have been already been displayed. But why is it so vital that our friendship is centered on Christ? 
I think it's because we often struggle with the insecurities in our relationship with others because we feel that we have to earn the approval and the affections of others. And we're never quite sure we ha- if we have done enough. That's the work-based friendship. But gospel grace, uh, gospel-based friendship is different because our relationship with God is completely secure because it depends entirely upon his sacrifice on the cross, not anything that we have done. So you see our vertical relationship with, with God actually helps us to place our horizontal relationship with others. In other words, as Christ meets your deepest longings, you are now free to love others, especially expecting nothing in return. So here's a helpful quote from Christine Hoover, who's also the author of A Messy, Beautiful Friendship. This is what she says. One way we can know that our friendships are centered on Christ is if we are consistently enjoying the friendship of God. I love that. Are you enjoying consistent daily companionship and your friendship with God? And when we know his daily companionship, we also know that his ability to love, know, and care for us is limitless and flawless, and and human friendship can be enjoyed in its proper secondary place because we are not putting pressure on it that it was never meant to bear. As we look to him for ultimate friendship, we can extend love to others in imitation of how he first extended himself to us. So biblical friendship not only starts with God, it is modeled for us by Christ, but it ends with him too. God is the object of our love toward others. I just love it. I think she's just succinctly just describe what Christ-based, uh, Christ-centered friendships are. So you got to remember that friendship is always based on something. Like C.S. Lewis even suggests that friendship begins when people discover a common interest and then when people are traveling on the same road together. So you are traveling for something together. So what is your friendship about? What is your friendship centered on? If we truly say that our friendship is centered on Jesus, then we must look to him to answer this question. And I believe that we can find that answer in Matthew 22 when Jesus answers, you must love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. And second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. It's a very familiar passage, but we can get lost in that. So you see, Christ-centered friendship provides a purpose that is much greater than you. There is actually a a transcendent element of God's purpose for your friendship with others. One author puts it this way. I just put an unknown author because I just could not figure out who this person was, but I remember jotting it down in my notes. (laughs) So this unknown author says, Jesus laid down his life for people in friendship to bring them back into relationship with God. And now, for those who trust in Jesus, we find ourselves not only restored in friendship to God, and this is the beauty of it here, but in a community of people who are also friends of God. So as we look out ahead at the world to come, right, we're waiting for his return to come, waiting for the world to be consummated, right, new restored world to come. We see a new creation where we will live forever with our greatest friend. We long for that day. And all of his friends who are now our friends too. The future is a world of friendship. 
don't know if you guys ever thought about the new world coming in that, uh, in that perspective. I think it's very exciting, right? Like just perfectly, harmoniously restored friendship, full of stoke, right, with your friends. No sin. Awesome. Did you catch that? We're headed toward, toward that world of friendship. In addition, I think there's a transcendent element where our friendship with others help us to know God better. So let me unpack that a little bit better. Tim Keller, I believe, has, has done a, ph- a phenomenal job in, in explaining, the, explaining this concept. And he argues that the deeper friendship and community with others go hand in hand with your relationship with God. So meaning your relationship with others is kind of like the indicator of how your relationship is going with, with God himself as well. It's going back to the whole horizontal, vertical relationship correlation there. Keller points out this in 1 John 1, 7, where he talks about, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, he's talking about having this communion and this relationship with God. It says we have fellowship with one another. So there's a verse that's indicating there's a vertical and horizontal that's related very closely together. And then Keller gives this further example by quoting C.S. Lewis's book called Four Loves. So we know there's three friends in, in the book, Jack, Ronald, and Charles. And as you know, if you read the book, Charles dies. So that, then Jack says, well, now that Charles is dead, I'll have more of Ronald. But as time went on, what did Jack realize? Jack realizes that he actually had less of Ronald. Why? Because there was a side of Ronald that only Charles was able to bring it out. So now that Charles was gone, Jack never saw that uh, side of uh, uh, Ronald again. So he began to realize that it actually takes community to know a person. So Keller kind of used this illustration to show, point out, then how much more so that it would take us to know God with his community of believers, right? With the fellow image bearers of God. So as I thought about this point of friends helping us to know God better and, uh, and more intimately, um, I couldn't help but to think about my friend Justin Dunn again, Jay Dunn, whom God has used in my life to know God better and also to know myself better. And actually, he was the one that actually shared that sermon of Tim Keller as well too recently, right? So I owe the credit to him as well. So with the Justin's permission here, uh, I'd like to read a very personal letter that he has written to me and to my friend Sean. Uh, Just a little bit of context, Justin started writing this letter to his kids about a year ago, um, and this particular letter was on the topic of friendship. So he uh, titled his letter, Transcendent Friendship is what he called it. So let me read it to you guys. This is Justin writing it to his children, uh, Ava Grace and then Levi. He says, "My, my children, I'm writing this to you on an airplane leaving Salty City, heading back, to you, <laughs> heading back to see you and Brittany, which is his wife. It's July 25th, 22. And I'm leaving the uh, birthday party of your uncle in Christ, Sean Boyle. We, spe- we spent the weekend climbing in the Uintas, and your uncle Chan and our good friends Tyler and Weston were there as we shared another adventure together. We climbed what it felt like slightly above our limit. At this point in the letter, I'm thinking, like, speak for yourself, right? And he just put parentheses, maybe just mine. (laughs) But within our physical uh, capabilities. Over the years, these little adventures, Miwalo adventures, have forged deep friendships. And I've learned that it is not in the epic moments, but in the mundane as we pursue the epic that builds true friendship. 
However, it is not something magical about mundane, but the sprinkle of intention that your Uncle Chan has taught us. There's never an unutilized moment with un your Uncle Chan, yet the moments are not forced, just utilized. Uncle Chan often thinks of questions before our trips to insert into moments of silence, and he sparks the conversation and thought, and then your Uncle Sean, with his astute and caring ear, furthers the conversation into a deep space with probing questions. There's really nothing necessary transcendent about thoughtful questions or a caring ear, but my experience has been that God molds these things into something greater, something beyond my ability to put into words, something transcendent. So I write this letter not so much as an explanation, but a prayer, a prayer that you both, Ava, Grace, and Levi, would grow into being the friends that your Uncle Chan and Sean have been to me, thoughtful in pursuit of your friends, patient and present in your listening to their joys and burdens, I pray that you also have friends that reciprocate these things. And finally, I pray that you would sense the divine nature of true friendship. That you would have friendship that draw you to wonder and worship and praise of the perfect friend that we have in Jesus. So my friends, I want to encourage you and also may God help us to become the constant friends friends that counsels, and may we cultivate friendship that are centered on Christ. And again, the reminder is that this, these marks of the friendship can be only, only can be pursued with the help of the Spirit as he has embodied all these marks. And next week, Luke will be talking about our greatest friend. So let's pray. God, I want to just take, a, take this moment here just thanking you for being our constant friend that you never leave us, that you're always there for us. You promise for your presence in our lives. Again, I just pray for the ones that are hurting here, maybe perhaps just feeling lonely, just needing a friend, that you would bring forth a friend to them, and then that you would uh, help all of us to become the friend that you intended us to be. Also, Lord, we're, we're thankful that you are our wonderful counselor, that you guide our path, and Lord, help us acknowledge you in all of our ways so that you may direct our path. And Lord, ultimately, we're thankful for our, our friendship with you and you being the greatest friend. When we had nothing to offer on the table, yet you still pursued us and uh, sought out for our friendship together. And so we, we give thanks and pray all this in your name. Amen.